welcome to the Cynical Podcast, a weekly discussion of current affairs in China, coming to you from the pop-up Chinese studio here in Beijing. I'm Kaiser Guo, and it's a beautiful blue sky October day. I've had a most productive week at work, and I just couldn't be in a finer mood, especially since joining me here are two of my favorite people on the planet, <laughs> gentlemen Jeremy Goldcorn. How are you, Jeremy? Good evening, Kaiser. I'm doing very, very well. And it's a fine day. Dashing David Moser. How are you, mine friend? I dashed over here, and I'm not doing as well as you. I'm exhausted. Beijing is killing me. Oh. It's just this traffic. Can't wait till APEC. Yeah, APEC. I can take nice. a break. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, no special guests today, just the three of us, but uh, we are three people all qualified to talk about the topic we've decided on for today's show, which is daddies raising children in Beijing. We are, after all, uh, fathers of children, all in very different stages of life, all in bicultural households, as each of us has a Chinese spouse, each of whom is a badass, I think, <laughs> in her own right. Um, all with very strong opinions on child rearing. I thought this would be a, a good vehicle to talk about. And all of whom who don't ever listen to this podcast. Right, Isn't that true? So we could say whatever we want. Right. My, 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 uh, my wife sort of, yeah, yeah. I mean, she, she'll occasionally ask me, so what did you guys talk about this time? She'll never actually bother yeah. listening. Now, my wife, I don't think even knows I do it. So, so. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not in the same situation, gentlemen. Uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> we'll keep that in mind. Yeah, we'll keep, so if, you, if, you're, if you're kinder, then uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I will do no wife bashing or wife beating on this show. Um, I thought it would be a good vehicle to talk, though, about, about <clears> a lot of different aspects of raising children in China beyond our own personal experiences, you know, like, Healthcare and education, food safety, the whole moral climate here. Um, so, though I, I'm sure we've talked each about our own kids several times on the show before, why don't we start by identifying them by what name, age, and gender? Let's start with you. You, you've got the oldest daughter, right? Right. Uh, my daughter's name is Leah. She is seventeen. Uh, wow. She's her Chinese name is Li Mo, which mm-hmm. is he's her mother's. Uh, surname and my, and then my surname in English, oh, so we switch that. Oh, so very, cute. very gender equal there. Not Molly. Yeah, and she actually is is maybe an interesting case because she spent, I think, first grade, second grade, and part of third grade in the U.S. Ah. and then has been there. And she was born in Beijing, but she spent those three years in the U.S. and then she's been here since then. Okay. So she's a little bit of a hybrid. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I guess I'm next chronologically. I've got two children: a daughter named Guinevere, age ten, in fifth grade right now. And a third grader, age eight, Johnny, who is, um, I'm pretty sure, not my child, but the son, son of Satan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he, I agree. <laughs> he, he, Isn't that all boys? That's <laughs> uh, all boys, right? And then Jeremy. So I have a daughter who's just over two years old named Viola, or Wuler, uh, which is a pun on nobody shall command her. Oh. Um, and uh, it turned out to be true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> See, well, why do we do this to ourselves? <laughs> and uh, there's a bun in the oven, so we'll have another one at the end of this year, hopefully. Yeah. Mm. Um, my, I guess I should say we were all doing Chinese names. So my, my older is Guo Puxin, and Guo Puren is, is, is um, Satan's spawn there. <laughs> I, I'm kidding. He's actually a, he's a wonderful child. I, uh, and any, anything that maybe you know bad in him was just basically me encouraging him to listen to Slayer when he was too young, probably <laughs> play violent video games. They're so cute. They look like you, despite the fact that they look like you. They're still cute. <laughs> um, some people say they don't. They, I mean, they look like my wife too. But mm-hmm. anyway, um, well, we, it's great that we have three kids in. Uh, we all three of us have these kids in three very distinct stages of life. Um, so, you know, Chinese parenting and the educational system different advantages and disadvantages for each stage, and that's something we'll definitely want to talk about. 
I think we all probably come down maybe differently in the balance between freedom and discipline, which is, I think, the defining variable in parenting. So let's let's start off. Where does each of us fall on a, a scale from total pushover, one, to um, Amy Chua-shaming Tiger Dad, ten? Jeremy, where are you on this? So, well, I'd probably got... right in the middle. I mean, I think... Um... Like, I, I can be very strict with, like, temper tantrums and that kind of thing, and I don't really put up with that. Um, but if, if if Viola's nice to me, I'll kind of, you know, I don't have any tiger daddy needs to, like, make her <laughs> so do you're stuff. Five. So I think I'm a five. But, I mean, if she if she pulls a, ta- a temper tantrum, I won't put up with it. And, and David, where, where are you? Um, I don't know what you mean in the sense of, of it, in a Chinese Western comparison, or just no, 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 absolute I terms? How strict terms. are you? Strict basically. Versus, yeah. yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a pushover. <laughs> I I think yeah, I think kids can always tell that that I'm not to be taken seriously. I, mean, <laughs> I think yeah. I'd put myself at, on the pushover side of things too. Yeah. I'm, I'm sort of a three, a four maybe. I'm not an absolute pushover, but. Um, you know, I, I don't think I've ever carried through fully on a threat of corporal punishment. Yeah. It's always sort of like, ah, and then yeah. <laughs> scare him or whatever. But, oh, and I I, I I find myself flummoxed constantly by my inability to actually, you know, like follow through on, on threats, mm-hmm. punishments. Like, you know, no electronics for a week or no electronics till you take home a grade better than that, you know. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's that's unfortunate. So none of us is going to stand for the... the, the the, the tiger parenting. Oh, I'll stand for it. I mean, I, I'll totally stand for it. I mean, okay. um, my wife is is, is fairly strict. Um, and my too. I, I, I think um, you know it has to be in moderation. And certainly, I mean, I don't want to live in a house run by somebody like Amy Chua because for me that's just that's dysfunctional and it's unpleasant for me. And I don't have enough energy to be a parent like that or to be married to a parent like that. Right, but so that, that's uh, I do think that there is a very strong argument argument to be made for a somewhat stricter parenting style for certain things than I think is common in the United States. So where, where's Wufei then on that 1 to 10 scale? Well, she's probably closer to the tiger parent than I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, an 8 or 9? Um, you know, I, I mean, I hate to give my wife any other grade than a 10 for anything. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, uh, yeah, a 7, 8. Yeah. I mean, she's not unreasonable and she's not a harpy. And David, so, you're a better um, I think I think that there's a difference in uh, age, you know how they treat Chinese treat kids at a different age okay. because there's this there's this notion. I noticed even when I first went to Taiwan, they have this phrase, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they sort of let uh, until you're age five, six, seven, they kind of let you get away with murder. Right. Whereas whereas we Western parents are always like trying to talk to them. I mean, they're like they're like two years old, and we're saying, well, now look, you gotta you know do this because you know the, the income tax later on when you grow up, <laughs> you know, and they don't understand what you're talking about. But then but, after they reach you know, high, junior high, high school, then the, the strict Chinese, you know, thing kicks in. With the homework. Yeah, and they get yeah, very strict a, about that's it. That's actually you know. a very good point because, you know, with Viola just being a little bit older than two years old, um, we interact with, you know, other parents and grandparents and IEs who are looking after their kids. I mean, uh, you know, uh, and what we have realized is that in general, at least the Chinese people who live around us are very, very um, overprotective mm-hmm. and uh, 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 of young children. Right. So, like you know, when Viola's running around and then she falls, we just like Let ignore it and just right. say, "Get up! You know, stop crying!" You know, she needs to learn uh, about gravity. And uh, we often find that like some of the Chinese grannies and eyes around us are like, "Oh, oh!" You know, and they 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 try and pick they them up, and converge. and they often do that. You know, they do that. 
to their own children. It does seem to me that there's a sort of molly molly coddling of you know I, I this is perhaps a, a function of 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 you know relatively well off Beijingers um, mm. who are these people that I'm talking about sure. and their eyes. Uh, who are terrified for any scratch to be on the kid when they go home because then they'll get into trouble with the family. Um, but it's almost the opposite of tiger parenting. It's, it's uh, yeah. mollycoddling. Right. But that does change when school starts, doesn't so, it? Yeah, so, David, let's put that question to you a little bit differently. Then how, how was your wife when they were of school, when your daughter was of school age? When, Lee was, when she began to be of yeah, school age? You know, um, nine, ten Yeah, years old. she may be slightly exceptional, but she would, she would still be fairly uh, lax with with you know certain social activities or something, but 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 you know grades was a big deal. Grades you know, was a big grade. deal. What, what about yep. piano practice? You know, that's because my wife is not particularly into that sort of thing. Uh, she wasn't one of the. She's not a tiger mom in the sense of violin lessons and piano and everything. No, uh, I mean she so just she, yeah she's more of like letting her do what she wants in terms of that extracurricular things. She's very no nonsense. But the know. main curriculum must be A's. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And also instilling in her very early a sense of, of frugality, which, you know, I mean, I don't even think anyone ever mentioned money to me until I was 12 years old or something. But I mean, she's always, even at age three and four, look how much money you spent on that. Right. You know, like we can get a better bargain. You know, she was, and she's still very conscious of bargains. She feels very guilty well, buying anything. You know, your wife seems to be the same yeah. person, <laughs> except for on the piano lessons thing, because oddly, I mean, I'm somebody who, uh, was subjected to piano lessons as a, as a, a child and uh, found that it really basically removed any semblance of joy from the whole thing. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, that's why I'm such a terrible pianist now. And it was only when I, you know, moved on to a, an instrument that I could learn on my own and um, you know play songs that I wanted to learn um, that I actually took a genuine interest. And but I, this I, is I, a I'm difficult seeing... balance, isn't it? I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. because I mean, like in the case of my wife, I mean, she was made to play guzheng like for hours and hours and hours and hours every day, seven days a week from the age of six. And it sucked at the time. But, but now she's well, like I, the I, world's I, best known Gujong player. One of the, yeah. So, <laughs> I, you know, I think these are the dilemmas one confronts as a parent. And perhaps being sort of bicultural China, Western, it sort of seems like the contrast is sharper. Yeah. So, I, think, I think Western parents are much more likely to... Uh, just wait and see what their kids are interested in and then let, give them free reign. Mm. They wouldn't force them into an instrument, but if they did see they were interested, they would do everything they could to, to help them pursue that. The only rule in our household was that they had to choose an instrument. I mean, they, right. they, they, they were allowed, but once they did, they were uh, they had to take it seriously. And so my, my wife is, you know, I mean, I just came over from the house where... Um, the kids are always like, okay, I mean, uh, it was 6.25 when I started. Now it's 6.50. Yeah. That's 25 minutes. I mean, how can I do my remaining 10 minutes after? Uh, <laughs> it's just they're always bargaining over this, and it's, it's, it's hellish to me um, just because it, 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 I, don't, I, I don't see them developing the passion that, that I'd like to see for it. You know, it's like now, now with the, the new metronome regime in the house, they, all, they have to play to the metronome, and, and my wife is, is constantly sort of shrieking at them from the kitchen saying, no, oh, you're playing too fast or not. <laughs> Which is funny because I'm the musician in the household. Um, anyway, uh, what, what are some of the issues and challenges that we face with our spouses in, in deciding how children are to be raised? Do you think that, that we kind of encounter similar situations since we're all Western or Western-raised men with, with Chinese wives? Uh, for for us, it's it's a constant issue. I mean, it's it's something we, we're, we, we constantly have to talk about. Like, uh, you know, 
this this isn't how I would do it, or mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think you're being too hard, or I think you're being too lax about this. Well, you know, whenever I have arguments about this with my wife, <clears throat> I especially recently get very conscious of the fact that I grew up in uh, you know post World War II baby boom America, right. where the economy was booming and no one really thought that there was there was looming dis, you know starvation in the you know in, uh, imminent right. i mean the we we it was the hippie age it was woodstock you know and i realized my wife grew up in a very different china where she was in fact was sometimes starving and 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 so the entire orientation for our child is geared towards that even if it's subconsciously i'm very conscious of that she's very conscious of well you know even at the age of 8 Said, oh, well, you're interested in that, but you'll never be able to make a living at that. Or, you know, you've got to think later on these skills you'll need when you grow up. And she's thinking survival skills and monetary skills. And, hmm. and that's the furthest thing from my mind. And I realize that's, you can't get around that. That's my subconscious. Subconsciously, I'm not even going there. And she's very much grew up in a different environment. I, I don't know about your wife. or Well, the or, issue for me is is I kind of want to, to raise my children believing that there's good in the world and, and that... Uh, most people, you can extend trust to them, uh, and that is certainly not. Those my, are my not. Uh, that's not. You shouldn't be like that if you want to survive in China. You're in the wrong <laughs> environment. Yeah, well, yeah. No, I mean, even even if that is the case, I don't want to raise children. I mean, I don't want. I don't want them to, to be victimized either. But uh, I think it's it's just sort of psychologically dangerous to raise children who are. You know, sort of incapable of trust. I think it's just, oh, suspicious it's just, of everything and cynical right. from a young age. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. I know. I agree. They it's pick that up. People say, or all around them are saying these things. Like, uh, there's a beggar on the street. Oh, don't give them money. They're right. they're, they're faking it. Right, exactly. And you get used to that. You, they, 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 that is they definitely that. one of the disadvantages of, of, me, of raising children in Beijing is that yeah. cynicism, that uh, suspicion, that lack of trust. Uh, you know, I think uh, in terms of the, your question, Kaiser, and uh, I'm in a different situation from both of you, partly because I grew up in apartheid South Africa and then immediately moved to China, where I've spent my entire adult life. Well, my wife um, was basically, after she got into the China Conservatory you know, middle school, was then Baosong, like uh, she didn't have to do the Gaokao examination to get into the China, uh, the China Conservatory. And there was, it was, you know, both the high school and the conservatory were small schools with very small groups of students that at that time were treated very, very well. Mm. And she had this, like, delightful uh-huh. uh, upbringing, she was surrounded elite. by these yeah. wonderful teachers who yeah. just adored their students, very small classes, no academic uh, requirements, really, as long as they could compose and play. And then she went to America in her early 20s and just fell in love with America and was treated very nicely in America too. And then she came back here. Whereas me, I grew up in a part of South Africa and have spent my entire adult life doing like things that have turned out to be illegal, usually media or whatever in China. <laughs> so I'm the Chinese in this relationship, oh, basically. So I, I think our dynamic is just not representative of anything at all. <laughs> that is very interesting. Well, I could never marry you then, Jeremy. No, you couldn't. <laughs> I'm, I'm way too cynical for yeah. you, my darling. <laughs> I think that, that Jeremy, you, you raise an interesting point, just that being here in Beijing, um, uh, it offers a lot of um, very interesting lessons. I mean, uh, growing up and, and specific challenges to this place. Um, some of, some of the, the good, though, is quite counterintuitive. David, we were, we were talking earlier about how uh, you, you actually like the fact that your, your, your daughter has grown up uh, routinely encountering 
abject poverty, for example. Yes, <laughs> right. Which, that's right. I mean, uh, obviously, that's a strange thing to say for yeah. some people. And, and my wife, who came from abject poverty, thinks that, that this is ridiculous. Why would you want your, you know, think it's an advantage for your child to grow up in this environment? But, you know, coming again, maybe it's again my background. I I just think that 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 abject poverty is a fact of life through most of the world. And uh, having grown up in white bread America, I didn't really encounter it so much. I mean, we weren't rich at, at, at all, but we, we still, you know, were living the middle-class dream there. And uh, my wife just simply can't understand why we just want to leave that behind, move ahead, make as much money as possible, succeed in the world. Why? What is the what is the advantage of, of having a intuitive understanding of, of people who are less well off than you? Right. That's why, what's why, the point. Why yeah. touch the Indians? Yes, and why, right. Yeah. I mean, nothing against her. It's just her background. That it's it's like the, her priorities are not there. It's like uh, also. I mean, if you're Chinese, that is so in your face that. Uh, what you see as your need is to escape that. Yes, yes, you exactly. Know, that, right. So, I mean, it's very different. I, yeah, I, I think that's a very valid point. I mean, I think, again, as a South African, I, it's different from America. I mean, South Africa is similar in, in, in that way to China, that if you spend, you know, longer than a few days in South Africa, you will see, you know, people who are really poor. I mean, there are people in my country who don't have access to running water. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something you kind of know about. I mean, even, you know, when you're a little kid. And it does give you a sort of more realistic grounding in, in the way the world works, I think. Hmm. It Outside seems of the United States borders, at least. For, for every advantage that you can, you can name about raising children here in China, uh, there's sort of the other side of the coin. I, I, for example, uh, it, a lot of people will say that uh, the relatively inexpensive childcare that you can get here, you know, having a nanny, an AI, uh, and paying no more than, say, you know, 2,000, 3,000 RMB a month uh, to have somebody nearly full-time. I don't know what the going rate is nowadays, but I, I don't know because we don't have one. We haven't had one for a long, long, long time. And uh, the flip side of that is, of course, that I, I think that there's a lot of sort of coddling and privilege uh, and uh, an erosion of the kind of egalitarian values that I'd like to instill in my children. Um, and that's why my wife and I had made the decision. Uh, we, we've uh, gone many, many years without having any anyone except maybe somebody will come in two or three times a week to help clean up a little, but uh, nobody who's you know a full-time nanny. Uh, how do you guys come down on the, the whole nanny issue I, w I would share your instincts or, uh, you know, I, I understand that goal. On the other hand, uh, both of us being out of the home, you know, all, virtually, you know, all day until evening. Right. But, of course, my wife d didn't work during, you know. Yeah. So it's a little bit different. Right. But, um, you know, it's not even just the nanny. It's even when we were, when the, when Leah was very small, uh, her family would help out. Or a friend of the family would come and be a full-time nanny for, for, for nothing. I mean, basically, that's just the way things are done, and you get used to it. Since, since you can avail yourself of that, well, why not do it? It's, that's a fact of life here. You'd almost be stupid not to. Uh, but it does, I think it has engendered some sense of, not privilege exactly, but, but a lack of awareness of you know, what it's like to do dishes and clean the house. I mean, we have never, it's very difficult to get her to do that because... Well, I finish with a meal and I just put the stuff in the sink and the I does it the next day. You mean someone actually has to wash these things? She has no sense of that. We've come to a strange compromise on that. I mean, we do make I make my children ten and eight 
do the dishes every mm-hmm. night one of them they take turns doing the dishes and the one that take, does the dishes doesn't take out the garbage and the other one takes out the garbage although taking out the garbage is hardly i mean it's walking out into yeah. the hall and putting it in, yeah. in into the bin it's, it's you could have them come over to my house kaiser and do the dishes <laughs> that would be that'd be fun well, i mean again i have to say i come at it from a very different perspective than the two of you because i i, I mean i grew up in south africa where middle class households had eyes essentially we, we called them maids back then mm-hmm. <clears throat> um domestic uh help i think is the current something like that the pc term but i mean i grew up uh, with an I who lived in our house and staff like Gardner who came a couple of times a week. So hmm. I grew up in an environment very similar to China. That was just a fact of life. And I think, I mean, basically there's been one year in my entire life where I haven't had some kind of person who does stuff in my house. You know, That's why eat. all your shirts are always so neatly pressed, huh? <laughs> uh, exactly. So, uh, you know, for that reason, uh, I mean, I, I'm... That's my reality. I, I don't really know of another reality, actually. So. And you, you don't you don't worry at all about how how this is going to affect Viola. No, you just have to tell them properly that this person is somebody who has to be respected, and you have to make them. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think my parents should have made me do the dishes a little bit more when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. But they, you know, they did make me do it occasionally. They made me aware that this was labor. It wasn't. Uh, I mean, you have to prepare children for the fact that you know. If they leave home when they're 18, this this person won't be around for a while, that, you know, this work is part of your life. Uh, I, but I, I don't think it necessarily has to be a very negative thing. Hmm. This is not a matter of class, actually, by the way, I think we should say, because even in very middle class or lower middle class homes in, in China, they, they often don't... In- uh, force the children to do any housework. They're, they're, they're as you say, they're molly coddled when they're younger, and then when they get old enough to start studying, they say, "Oh, oh just concentrate on your studies. We'll, we'll take care of all the housework." Yeah, and I mean, it's not just China; it's India; it's most yeah, of Africa. Right. I mean, if you have two shekels to rub together in most of Africa, you get staff. I mean, right? Because you know, why not? Why not? Right? It right. helps right. grow the economy. I mean, mm. there's nothing to be ashamed of that. Mm. Hmm. I'm just maybe clinging to some bygone world that I grew up in. I mean, my, my, that's the other thing is, you know, my parents were always sort of, I could see that they, they would, they would look with disdain on people who had, you know, uh, two, three, uh, domestic staff to raise one child. They had always sort of looked down their nose. And, and so, uh, <laughs> I, I think it can very part. easily be abused. I mean, yeah, I remember yeah, once yeah. being at a, a party in, in, in Beijing and, uh, there was a little kid, maybe three years old, uh, and the parents and the IE was there, of course, to look after the, uh, and the kid hurt uh, himself and started crying and he ran straight past the mother and father to the IE. And I thought, okay, this is a sign of uh, an abuse of this type of relationship where Mm -hmm. the parents aren't putting in the time. You know, they're just handing everything over to the IE. And if you do that, yes, your child will be a spoiled brat. Mm -hmm. Says the guy whose kid is two years old and knows everything. (laughs) So take what I say with a pinch of salt. (laughs) I think we can all agree that the the reason that we we want to raise children here, though, um, in spite of all all the the air and the food and, and what have you, is 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 their exposure? I mean, you know, the bilingualism, yeah. the biculturalism yeah. with which they'll 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 grow up, and in this kind of G two world that will probably you know it, it will be so for the rest of their mortal lives. It looks like uh, it's going to confer on them. I think. A, yeah, a I, I, I think you know, as a parent, one one amazing gift you can give to a child is is two languages, right. which which is no one you're you know no one is in that else is in that position to give it to them and. Uh, as much as they res- resist, 
I mean, my daughter resists that, at least the, the she resists reading it. She doesn't really mind speaking it too much, but resists, you know, the the, te- the, the, the Chinese script. But uh, I always console myself by saying when she grows up, she'll thank me, uh, you know, right. eventually for that. I actually have the opposite problem. Is I, I, They have no problem. They, they love to read their, you know, their books in Chinese. I just have, I mean, I have to, it's like, it's difficult for me to get them to pick up an English book and to read it. Hmm. I mean, they're, they're happy to listen to me read stories to them in English. I mean, they, of course, they because they're because their school environment is Chinese, basically. Right, the school environment is Chinese. Yeah, so t- let's let's talk about school. Why don't we Why don't we talk about school? And Jeremy, maybe uh, I can't really talk about right, school. right, exactly. I mean, so maybe you can sort of lead the the questioning when, when it comes. to school. <laughs> Well, okay. So this is my problem looking at the schools in in Beijing, uh, and I think the problem. I mean, you know, from our point of view, is from a, a sort of you know expatriate or foreigner point of view. But I mean, essentially, Chinese people have the same problem: is that if you're not uh, a Beijing fully Beijing Hukou residence permit person, you have two options. You have like, if you're a foreigner, there are a few Chinese schools like Fangzhou that will accept foreign children, foreign citizen children. Uh, and then you have these awesomely, immensely, pornographically expensive private schools. And these schools, I mean, some of them are good and some of them are, 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 are scam operations as far as I can tell. And some of them are very good maybe, but they are all full of the spawn of, 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 of Chinese nouveau riche with Australian passports and very transitional kind of foreigners, the children of you know senior executives and multinational corporations and diplomats who are moving every two or three years. So I look at this landscape and I think, well, either it's with the spawn of the diplo trash and the corporate trash, or it's with the Chinese school system, which you know is kind of very boring and a lot of indoctrination and a lot of rote learning, and 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 there doesn't seem to be something in between. Well, I think How would you respond kind of to in that? Fonsadi is in between, and the and where my daughter was going to high school is in between too, because it was fifty five middle 55, school, right? And they ha- also have it's a Chinese, mm. you know, high school, but they ha- also have an uh, international baccalaureate program. So it was very much in between, yeah. And how do you feel about the kind of rote learning, the, the sort of very disciplinarian <clears throat> Chinese approach that even at places like Fang Cao Di and Number 55, I mean, that's sort of the way things... Do you think that's a good thing? Because well, yeah, I, I actually, used to think that, you know, the ideal situation is your kid goes to like primary school in China, learns some discipline, learns mm. Chinese characters, and then goes to a Western-style high school where they'll find it really easy and they'll already have good Chinese. Right, I mean, that's, that's theory, my approach. I think yeah, I've talked about does, that before on yeah. our, our show on education. I, I, I mean, my my magic formula, the one that I think is going to work is, you know, uh, in that freedom and discipline balance, all freedom until, you know, the beginning of school, you know, let them play. That's what they're supposed to be doing. They're supposed, I mean, uh, let, let them, you know, play make-believe until they're five or six, send them off to school, uh, let them come under the, you know, the whip the of the stick, Chinese yeah. teacher, switch. the Confucian switch, right? And, and, and no, rod. the Confucian rod, rod. scepter, <laughs> the scepter. They, 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 they are learning things that do require rote memorization. I mean, to learn to read Chinese, you just need to memorize. Yeah. There's no easy way. Feed. It's a mnemonic crunch, mm. and there's no yeah. no getting yeah. around that. Yeah. Um, there's no getting around it for multiplication tables. There's no getting no, around it. That's for, right. Mm. And I still, I mean, I do respect the ability of. Pretty much every Chinese person I've ever met, including semi-literate peasants, to do multiplication faster than me. Right. You know, there's a reason. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Kosuan ability is just astonishing. Amazing. I I, I love it. The ability to memorize long strings of digits, numbers. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I, I actually have this uh, a theory, which, of course, is totally unscientific, uh, that going through that, Going through that sort of mnemonic crunch episode in your life kind of hardwires you so that later in life you're still able to do do these things. I think that I even got some of that. I'm, I mean, the reason why I was for some reason later in life able to memorize, you know, the orders of reigns and, and the dates of specific reigns of you know, uh, hundreds of, of emperors through, you know, Chinese history. Oh, absolutely. And it's, it's not just Chinese. I mean, my maternal grandmother, um, who was the sort of... You know, she thought of herself as English, but she was actually born in South Africa. But she, you know, was kind of a, a spiritually a child of Rudyard Kipling. And she had memorized huge tracts of Rudyard Kipling uh, poetry, you know, ballads, long ballads that go on for like, you know, 50 pages. Right. She, she could recite the whole thing. And also a few very dirty uh very dirty poems that <laughs> uh, oh, my grandfather had learned during World War II. <laughs> you know, I, I think rote memorization is something we've lost in Western education. I mean, why well, don't kids learn poems anymore? Even even my generation in South Africa, we were a little behind on the permissive society. Right. We had to memorize poems. I still had to memorize poems. In, in, yeah. And, in, and in, in Russia, you know, everyone knows Pushkin, you know. You give her right. a line of Pushkin, and they'll they'll you know finish the whole chapter. But for it's it. astonishing. I mean, when my kid was my, – my son, I remember, he was in um, – in, in in nursery school and they had them memorizing Deeds Gui and Sanzijin. Mm-hmm. And Sanzijin he could he could go, I mean, hundreds of lines into it. Yeah. Expl- explain what those are, Kaiser, for people um, who may not be familiar. These are I guess they were attributed to Mencius or I, I, I don't I, I don't, don't but, know. Yeah, that's don't, a good question. I, I, I really don't know the provenance of these things. But they're they're basically uh Confucian moral lessons, uh you know, like uh uh you know, when man is born, his heart is good. I mean, there are mentioned right. ideas. Like, and Sanzi you know. Jing, because as the, you can only it's do in the Chinese language, every single uh, couplet is expressed in exactly three, three characters, characters, which is astounding. Yeah. It's only in Chinese you can do that. Yeah. I mean, these guys is the same, same thing. It's also three characters but, each. But, you know, we did a show on this, which I recommend to the audience. Go back and listen uh, with Jiang uh, Qin on... Yeah, on education in China, I think we touched upon this issue a little bit, but I mean, I mean, I, I totally agree with everything both of you or what you're saying, mainly Kaiser about, but I think there is definitely a, a trade off. Thank God the schools nowadays don't don't go that far with the rote memorization. They're even talking about you know getting rid of some of the 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 requirement to memorize classical poems. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at, at a certain age, you're talking about you know first, second, third grade. They can do it. They can memorize. My daughter could memorize Tang poetry when she was little. She had sure. no idea what she was saying. Right, right, right. And at a certain point, you you have to think: Is this what we should, you know, be using these young plastic minds? You to still do? have some Tang poems cocked and, and ready. Some I mean. of it. Some of it. Some of it. I mean, you should do other I've things too. Maybe I mean, half those a mix. Minute, I mean, yeah. I, we've been like trying to indoctrinate Viola into like you know memorizing Tang poems and Doctor Seuss and you know. I'm not that's, sure. Kid, not? And kids will do it anyway. Yeah. I mean, remember, but I mean, yeah. I, it's just a trade. I'm just saying it's a trade off. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, I, th- I think <laughs> I mean if you introduce other things so that it's not just that. I mean that's it's yes, kind of like which a is what they're, I mean, which is what they're doing. Mix, you know? I mean we should we should say the Chinese educational system is in flux. They're reforming it and they're looking at the Western model and they're saying you know, and and that's largely as a result of the pressure from Chinese parents. That's right. So let's switch gears and talk about some things that really suck about being a parent in China. So, like, one thing I'd like to just talk about is, like, you mentioned food safety, Kaiser. This, I think, is something that one has to admit. Um, At one point, you know, my daughter had, like, some swelling. So we go to the doctor, 
and she kind of checks it out and, you know, takes all the readings and everything. And then the first question she asks us is she says, what have you been feeding her? <laughs> <laughs> oh, good Lord. So, <laughs> I, I think that... Milk powder? <laughs> so, San Lu milk powder. <laughs> <laughs> the finest. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 uh, I worry about this. Of course I do. I mean, I think all parents in, in China... I mean, yeah, you're, you're yeah, probably yeah. beyond the age where you need to... I mean, with, with No, your, no. In fact, uh, I mean, in fact uh, my, my daughter, because she grew up here... She has what they say, you know, kowei zhong. She loves spicy, Salty, yeah, Salty and spicy. she loves to go out to, to these grungy places at night and and, and eat mala tang. Mala tang. Ah, you mean digoyo tang? Yeah, yeah, and I'm yeah. looking at this, and she loves it, and I'm thinking, you know, you can That's only eat this yo, once yeah. a week right, right. because it looks just looks absolutely horrific. This witch's brew there, uh, right, right. but she loves it, and and you know the you. Even you know where you know where I live. You sure. see those places out there. The, these these greasy spoons or greasy chopsticks. There. I mean, you, you don't want to eat there too much. You don't know what the <laughs> kitchens look like. So I do worry about that. I mean, and she's someone who she's unlike some expat kids who just avoid that stuff completely and eat right. you know McDonald's. Which is probably worse. I don't know what's worse for you. The oh, fast McDonald's food is and, worse. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's got to be that's uh, the pink slime <laughs> for meat and what have you. Yeah, it's disgusting. I mean, there's there's yeah. a lot of ways to, to go wrong food wise here, but uh, uh, I mean, there there are safer alternatives. I mean, we we uh, buy a lot of organic vegetables. We buy you know fresh vegetables from from yeah. uh, the morning market. Um, we do a lot of you know veggie smoothie kinds of things. I'm sure. You, I mean, there are ways around it. It's like the air. Okay, spend, you install right. the air filter exactly. when the pollution's yeah. really bad. If they're sensitive, you don't let them out. I mean, but it is a it is a downside of parenting in this town that absolutely you have to like worry about like every meal what's in it, and you have to worry about the air. Right. Yeah. Right. So there's a little bit of parental guilt. There's you know, a lot of parental guilt. Get, go home to, to my parents and they say, you know, what are you that doing? in Beijing. Why yeah. are you raising your daughter yeah. there again? Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, I don't know. I, 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 you know, I've noticed in the sort of trend of foreigners leaving Beijing because of sort of, you know, general hostile environment. And that's usually children reason number one. Right, the children right. and the air, yeah. you know. Right. It's sort of one of those things. There's also like the spiritual side of the environment. You know, I, th- I think I mentioned uh, also before the show about... Uh, the fact that the the public space environment here is is much more uh, you know rude and brutal and and rough. I mean, you know, to get a taxi or to get waited on in a restaurant, and I and I sometimes see my daughter turning into adapting to this local environment. You know, and and she can she can better than me. She can in a restaurant. She'll say, "Fuyar, yeah, quieter," or you know, this kind of thing, or like you know, jump in a cab and cut people off. And I think. Well, she's just learning survival skills. That's what you have to do here. But I feel I, sad. I, 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 want, I mean, how much of that do you think is just, you know, sort of because you need it here? And yes. if, if she went to, you know, a different part of the world, she would adapt to what's going on there. Because I notice in m- myself, for example, uh, as somebody who's driven quite a lot in China, when I get behind the wheel of a car in you China, a raving, a raging asshole. I'm an asshole, right. man. I cut you off. I like, you know... But I turn my brights on. I like <laughs> d- disobey the rules. Right. I do everything wrong because, like, otherwise, I'm fucking gonna sit in traffic for like three yeah. hours. Right. You right. know. Well, that's why I just don't drive here. I mean, yeah, I'm trying to reduce. You're my You're right. You're yeah. right. You're right. You're right. If my if my daughter so started driving she, here, she'd she'd be absolutely. She went to a Savannah. Beast. She went to Savannah, Georgia. She'd she become changed. like this charming southern lady. Well, basically. I hope so. Yeah. yeah, I hope so. I don't know. 
Um, yeah, unfortunately, my wife, uh, right out of high school, she had a, a job as a waitress in a uh, the old Xiangang Mei Shi Cheng. Do you remember I that do place? remember you that. Yeah, so yeah. she worked there. Uh, it, it's great. So she's, she's still, sensitive to this kind of thing? She's very sensitive yeah. to that sort of thing. I mean, she, she's sort of always crusading for fu yuan dignity. And, uh, <laughs> oh, really, that's good. I support that's her. Good. I had a similar experience. That was like my first job, I guess, you know. Right. And as I, a waiter. I've, I've washed yeah. dishes and worked yeah. in restaurants, and I, I, I know what it's like. And so uh, I, it's one thing I really, really admire about her is that she just will not brook any kind of... of uh, of snobbishness on the part of my children toward you know the underclasses or for working people, you know she's infallibly polite to uh, to cab drivers. Genin just just uses polite. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that, I th- you know that. what I think that relates to the IE discussion we had. I think it that's does, very important, does. and yeah. that was something that my parents instilled in me that you, you people who do work for you are you know, doing something nice for you and you have to be polite to them. That's you right. have to respect them as a human being, no matter who, you know, what they look like or who they are. Right, right, right. But you, only... ha- you do have to indoctrinate your children into that, I think. You you can't just, you know, assume they'll right. get it. Make you have to actually w- tell them. Right, right, right. right. Right, and sh- and show by example. She's more conscientious about this than even I am. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm generally show by example maybe the most important thing. Right. Yeah. 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 But yeah, I mean, uh, your point is absolutely correct about the sort of survival skills that you need in the public space, and and how one becomes very rude here. Uh, I mean, you know, you've you've seen all these cartoons and things about how you know Americans who've lived in China too long go back home, and then suddenly it's like, you know, oh, that'll be five sixty nine, please. I'll give you three. <laughs> <laughs> well, we when my daughter and I go back to the states, we like we stop for cars right. that are pulling out of a driveway for you. We'll stop, right? And, and they stop, people, right? And they're yeah. looking at us, and we say, "What? what what's the this guy doing? Yeah, he's, he's, crazy. Oh, I, he's crazy. He's crazy. Obviously, crazy. crazy. What is he, what is he doing? Yeah. He's got a car. We're walking. Yeah. Why is he stopping? I know. I find pedestrian crossings terrifying in 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 America because I can't get used to the fact that somebody will actually stop for the pedestrian. Yes, just, that's right. And yeah. if they stop for the pedestrian, I kind of think they must have some kind of ulterior that's motive. Right. Like, oh, do Why they want to mug me or yes. like, what's going on? Right, right. right. Kaiser, do you, do you kids, are they starting to become aware of Western versus Chinese parenting styles and will actually yeah, explicitly play, talk about it among yeah, with their friends? Play, they'll play them off against yes, each other. They sort yes. of know. They sort of, that's yeah. something to look forward to, Jeremy. Uh-huh. <laughs> they, 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 play, they play the two Especially off against each other. That. She's extremely just, I mean, she's, she's, she, yeah. she picks up on this stuff really easily and yeah. she's very manipulative. Well, my know. daughter, for example, she, she knows how to get me with these Disney things that come from American culture. Like, well, it's just something I need to do for my, I mean, for my self-fulfillment. I just have to do <laughs> she tries. She tries this with her mother. I right. mean, she get the back of her head. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> I'll fulfill you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, there's some universal issues though in, in bringing up children, and uh, um, these I think. I, I, but I, this, this, these are areas where I feel like maybe China is. I, I see parents failing in this constantly. One is electronic devices, say mm. out in public places and restaurants I, I i see it occasionally in america where parents will be there and then the kids are on on their phones or on their occasionally iPads. are you serious how long have you been out of the u.s occasionally yeah, I mean, I, that's I, I the, the rule it, but, in america right i mean kids always are on those things what are you talking about i i no, i mean i no, i can't say that's been my sample size I, I, really? I see i actually see a lot of parents who who kind of uh i i mean the people i'm around it's like uh Put that away. Put that away right now. You know, you don't take that out. Until yeah, I've heard that, but uh, 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 which maybe maybe <laughs> maybe suggests that that's not. 
I mean, yes. my, my, my sample size would be my sister in terms of like outside of China, you know, that I, I, am ver- I have verifiable information. And they have a policy. I mean, my sister's, my niece is um, like 11, I think now. And their policy is half an hour of screen time. They call it a day. Right, we call screen, it screen time. Which time. is TV, phone, iPad. Yeah, you know, right. computer. Or computer, any, any yeah. screen. Which I think is uh, draconian myself, but, you know. Since you, since, since you uh, as I told you, I know uh, I know everything already because my daughter's too. So, <laughs> <laughs> where do you guys come down on? I'm, you know, I, I mean, this is maybe more relevant to you, but I'm I'm starting to think about it right now. When do you have the talk, the birds and the bees talk? I mean, do you, I feel like sex education in China has got to be um, kind of woefully behind? I don't want my children to, you know, pick it up from you know these these miscreants on the street mm-hmm. here. And they're already talking about, oh, the two of them, I'm gala, or they, they, <laughs> right. I'm gal, and mm. then um, I, I kind of pin them down. Johnny, what what, what do you mean by gal? What is this gal <laughs> of which you speak? You know, sex. <laughs> they did it. Let's, it's they like they it, did right, it. Exactly. If you translate right, it into English. Right, right, right. Um, and you know, of course, he has no no idea what he's talking about. He's eight, and uh, it's wow. Right, right. But yeah, but that's it's, a bit it's different, I minds. think, from when we were kids. Maybe I don't know. I mean, I think I probably had a pretty Eight. good inkling by nine or ten. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I don't oh, remember. Yeah. Gosh. The thing, you know, that's something I used to sort of like about when my daughter was much younger. I, she spent some time in the U.S., some time here, but she couldn't go two seconds, it seemed, from the cable TV in the U.S. without seeing scenes of couples in bed or this. I mean, it right. just. But here in China, the TV, you don't, you don't just easily encounter that by just turn, switching on. Any sort of a, well, the inter, you have the internet now, but I mean, uh, TV is much more prissy and much more you know you don't have to worry so much. But you know, when she was seven years old, she came into our bedroom and she said, "Are you two having sex?" Oh my god! I went, oh god, where are you getting this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what have we left? We out weren't, here? by the way. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I'm my my daughter is is ten now and um, is turning into quite a young woman. I mean, she's definitely go, going on eighteen, and she's already rolling her eyes and you know isn't nearly as 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 uh, as physical with me. I mean, you know, I, I'm I'm tickled when we go out walking, and she'll actually like hold my hand proactively. Uh, that's that's mm-hmm. that's the most. She still calls me daddy. She hasn't gone yeah. to dad yet. Or, oh, but, I feel so sad, Kaiser. Yeah, but I she, went through this. I know what you're talking about. But you know, it's the embarrassment of everything right. that I do, and and I I, I want to sort of it, it makes me want oh. to like sing out loud or skip or do really yes. silly asinine things in public. Yeah. Embarrass or just make her roll her eyes more. But this is isn't this is this universal. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, universal. in China, it happens in Chinese. I mean, you see Chinese girls with their daddies, and they're then they reach this age, and they don't even talk to them anymore. They don't even look at them anymore. Right. It's so goddamn depressing. I know. Unfortunately, I'm I have sorry my, if you're my going adoring through that. young son uh, <laughs> for a little longer. For a little yeah. longer, right? right, right. Uh, how do you deal with? Oh God, I mean, I don't know. It's very, it's, it's very you hard. Seem but still, have a very good relationship with Leah, though. Yes, it, but it, it 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 changes, and they dictate the the pace of change. You don't. That's the thing. You can't force them. But do, do you think that Chinese society, because of it's getting increasingly Westernized, that these differences are just going away? I mean, um, yeah. Unfortunately, I think we're all sort of converging. Yeah. I mean, I, I think. Um, I. I we talk about the the massively competitive environment here for for school and, and 
it isn't all that different when I go to the Bay Area or when I go yeah. to New York and I talk to right. parents. And, I mean, you know, the people are, are are in line for preschools. They're all you know scrambling to get their kids Mandarin speaking nannies and and give them all these advantages. Right. And the schools are super expensive, right, super expensive if you're not right. if you don't live in the right neighborhood. Yeah, we seem to be yeah, yeah. basically converging on everything. Horrible. I I just being having been here almost thirty years now. It just seems like the young kids. Just they're a different breed than they were when I came here. They were so sweet and innocent. And now that I see them, I interact with them. They just like they just seem like American kids. Oh, they're exactly. S- they're knowing. They're cynical. Yeah, they're, they're cynical. They're... They make ironic comments. Uh, now let's turn to a, an aspect of raising children here that I we were <clears throat> discussing previously that I'd like to bring up. That the a very positive thing, which is I love about China, is the acceptance ah. of children in public spaces. Recently, there was a thing that was going around on the internet. Uh, on one of these, you know, sites that I hate, like Upworthy, right. where it was some parents, they had some babies or one or two babies and they were on a flight and it was a photo of this care pack that they distributed to the other passengers. Did I? I know exactly your reaction. I'm completely... I was I, outraged I because they were like giving candy and saying sorry to the passengers around their baby because their baby might scream. Sort of written in the and voice like, of their baby. Hey, yeah. sorry, I'm, I'm fussy. You know, I and I'm like, cry. for fuck's sake, you're a human being. You were a baby once. This is public fucking transport. There are children. <laughs> this is a reality. Deal. You right. know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it shouldn't be something you have to apologize a Chinese for. Person complain I mean, this is it, right. totally outrageous part of Western society. Chinese people do not complain about babies screaming on airplanes. They give you that's a right. smile and a hug. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's right. It's one of the most wonderful things about child child rearing here. I, I totally think agree. small that's children. Right. That's right. Yeah, that's kind of a good place to end. I mean, because there is some place. <laughs> it is, it, and, and and I'm I'm looking at the clock now, and we're 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 approaching that time where, yeah, I, it's it's. Uh, that, that, that was, uh, for 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 child for children children young kids they're that way. This is paradise. Yeah, right. for, yeah, in, in yeah, that way. Yeah. I mean, you're doted on, and right. you know, everyone loves you, and yeah, and, I've and seen, that's good. And I like that. And, and I've seen a lot of. Uh, I've I've heard expat parents complain. Actually, they they they'll say we took her. I don't like these strangers always picking up my little girl. Like 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 who are you? Or, you know, it's like come on, this enjoy it. It's beautiful. I mean, the, the, it is wonderful. Are, yeah, it is a truly. It is uh, in some ways for me right now at this stage of my life the most wonderful thing about China. Great. So go China. Let's move to recommendations. <laughs> Jeremy, what do you have for us for this week? Okay, fuck China. Um, so, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> what I have is an article, a short article by Jeremy Barme on a site that I'm, uh, I work on as well called the, the, thechinastory.org. And the title is Tiger, Tiger, A Fearful Symmetry. And what it is is basically a collection of quotes from Hung Ardai, uh, uh, revolutionary successes, basically the children of the original ge- uh, uh, generation of revolutionary communists. <laughs> Uh, such as Xi Jinping, whose right. daddy was a you know a revolutionary, um, who are talking. Uh, these quotes come from the last two years, and they are all talking about how the the second generation Reds are basically kind of almost holy because of their parents and their experience, and they can't really be corrupt because of this sort of pure redness that's flowing through them. <laughs> and it, one should also note at this point, which is noted in the article, that of the forty eight. A high-level Communist Party 
cadres uh, or tigers that have gone down in the anti-corruption investigation, not a single one has been from the second generation Reds. Mm. Mm. Uh, they've all been from the pingmin, the, the, mm. the ordinary people, the shopkeeper the shop class, people. and people like Hu Jintao. <coughs> and I, I think this is something one should think about very carefully when uh, considering what does Xi Jinping mean by anti-corruption, what does he mean by rule of law? This is something that should not be ignored. Uh, there is a, a, a core group of people in this country who have an agenda, and I, this piece points it out very well. You don't think that there's any possibility that, in fact, uh, these, these people know that they're going to be scrutinized and therefore they're going to tread a little more carefully? That possibility exists, but I'm a cynic, right. and I, I I think that that possibility certainly exists, and I'm willing to give it credence. But uh... well, I mean, what we, we know who these people are. If you if they're if they're um, you know we've got all the Mike Forsyths and uh, David Barbosas out there, they could track down their ill-gotten gain if they have. Any. And they have in some cases, but there are no maybe associated punishments. Maybe they, maybe they don't need to because they start out with such a silver spoon or silver chopstick in their mouth that they don't need right. to. They don't need to resort to, to finagle. Yeah, right. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they end up getting paid basically by Goldman and Morgan, right? <laughs> uh, precisely. <laughs> I mean, it's not to suggest that the American political and financial elite is any less rotten so in right. certain tiger, ways. Tiger, uh, tiger, tiger, a fearful back. symmetry. So, right, they're here. Ah, right. That's that's actually from the poem, too. William, yes, it's, it's a William Blake, to yeah. the Blake burning bright yeah. right, in the forest of the night. Um yeah, we we're talking about memorizing poems. I, 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 stopping by the woods on a snowy evening, it's about exhausts me for Western. And now for the poetry hour, Seneca podcast. <laughs> Dulce et decor best. Um, let's let's uh, hear your recommendation there, Dave. Okay, uh, I want to recommend something by our good friend Howard French. Uh-huh. Uh, an article in the Atlantic this month called uh, "China's Dangerous Game." It's a kind of an update. It's a long article, and it's very well done. It's an update on the South China Sea issue, uh-huh. China's encroachments there. And it's a very scary read, actually. I mean, I'd read a lot about it, and you know, I'm sure everyone has, but it was a, a little bit uh, creepy to read it because it, does a good, it sort of does a good job of showing how this confluence of factors, which I, wasn't, uh, I had not put them together in the way he did, sort of uh, seems to indicate that... that uh, this confluence of factors is pushing the confrontation in such a way that 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 there's some, going to be some in, inevitable kind of precarious situation with no diplomatic or political solution. Yeah. <laughs> Nine dragons stirring up the seas. No, I mean really. I mean he 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 shows the way there's the dynamics of the situation are sort of inexorably going to to where that uh, you could get a, a sort of a crisis situation that arises very incrementally. Rather than you know all of a sudden uh, exacerbating to a to to a to a crisis to a, a a breaking point, and I think that's that's what's so scary about it is that is that uh, well just read the article okay it's I, very scary I, I will um, what I've got this week is a Guardian piece by Pankaj Mishra who's been a guest on this show a couple of times uh, it, it's it's a contentious piece. I, I I will definitely describe it as that. It's a good long piece. It's in the long reads section of Guardian. Its title is "The Western Model Is Broken," 
And uh, underneath that, it's, it reads, The West has lost the power to shape the world in its own image, as recent events from Ukraine to Iraq make all too clear. So why does it still preach the pernicious myth that every society must evolve along Western lines? This is a, a line of, of argument you hear uh, frequently from uh, everyone from sort of Jim Mann, the China fantasy, and stuff like that, all the way you know um, to to this. Uh, Mishra is is just such a fabulously good writer that even if you if you <coughs> disagree with the fundamental premises of the piece, you're going to encounter some sentences that are just going to make you go, "Oh God, that's just delicious." He's brilliant. Um, and while I think there there um, there's there's on my Facebook page, if you want to go, there's there's been a a, a pretty um, oh, yeah. Lively, lively, <laughs> lively conversation about this piece, uh, and uh, I've, I've actually forwarded some comments on to him, and he's res- responded. So there, it's it's happening in a couple of dimensions now. Uh, he, he's I, I I personally find that um, the uh, this is you know the same argument that he's basically been carrying forward from his book from the ruins of empire, which he talked about on on this show. Um, what still leaves me dissatisfied with everything is that I have yet to to visualize, to have visualized for me a non-Western mode of modernity that, that sort of works. I mean, I, I still I look around and, and yeah, there are uh, all these efforts to contest the, the, the Western model of sort of you know, neoliberal economics and, and democratic uh, politics, but show me one that is recognizably non-Western that, that actually... The Beijing consensus. No, so I mean, obviously that's, that's, that's not... <laughs> You're living it right here. Maybe Here's I am. The... <laughs> one, uh, but no, it, it's good. Read the, read the piece. God damn it, just read it. Uh, you, didn't, you didn't read this. No, I haven't read it. It's, 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 I've read it, yeah. It's good. You must be the only one who uses Facebook as a real serious, uh, substantial platform for you know, debate. I, I might be... <laughs> I think you're the only one. The only one in my sort of immediate social and digital circle, I okay, should say. Okay. What all, what yeah. all, well, I mean, what else is it supposed to be for? Cute cats. I don't know. The only thing I ever put videos. on Facebook is links to Seneca podcasts. <laughs> I just, I can't think of another use for it. Okay. Um, uh, anyway, I, I find I end up getting in, in some pretty lively discussions on, on, on good issues like Hong Kong and whatnot. Yeah. Anyway. I don't know. You're willing to engage with the unwashed masses. I, you know. Some of them are cleaned up, but, you know, I don't know. Okay, folks, uh, we'll see you next week on Seneca. Seneca.